Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the New Books in Indian Religions podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. More importantly, I have the pleasure today of speaking with Professor Birinder Pal Singh, who is at the Department of Sociology and Social Anthropology at Punjabi University. And we're speaking about a fascinating book called Six in the Deccan and Northeast India. Uh, welcome to the podcast. So can you tell us a bit about your object of research? Um, uh, how did this project come about and, and who are you studying? See, uh, thank you, Raj, for having me here. See, uh, we have a minority commission of India. They wanted me to do this work. <clears throat> there was a, a study earlier done by some other people, and that too was commissioned by the minority commission of India. But then that was a very small, the scope was very large, the sample was very large, more than 3,500 respondents. But the whole and the 14 states were covered, 14 states, Indian states were covered in the north, in the center, and the south of India. But unfortunately, that was, the whole thing was summed up in just in 47 pages, double space, and along with the pie charts and diagrams and policy recommendations and everything. So there's another member, uh, you know, uh, who came after that uh, person, uh, Mr. Hans Paul. So he talked to my vice chancellor. He wanted to say, "Okay, we want the study to be conducted, and uh, you have somebody in sociology doing this work." So my vice chancellor asked me, and I was the dean faculty of social sciences then. So he asked me, "Are you would you be interested in the study?" I said, "Yes, I would really like to do that. No problems." So then that project was given to me. It was called the socio-economic conditions of the Dakhani Sikhs in particular and other Sikh minorities in South and North East India. So that was the title of the project by the Minority Commission of India. So I had to work within that framework. You know. So what I had done was that I had taken two areas, South India and one is the Northeast. In the South India, we had the erstwhile state of Hyderabad See, where the, the Sikhs went there, and the Sikhs are resident, those original, those, sorry, those local Sikhs who were the inhabitants, original inhabitants of the Nizam of Hyderabad state. They are called Dakhni Sikhs. I mean, we have two kinds of Sikhs there. Rather, I would have three kinds of Sikhs there. One is a kind of the Sikhs who are, who went there after the partition of India in 1947, they are into the business of all kinds. The transport bazaar in Hyderabad is virtually under their control. And then there are the Jat Sikhs who are the transporters and who are into the automobile business. And then there are the local Sikhs, which are uh, Dakhni Sikhs. Now, these, the, these are these, these type of Sikhs that I'm referring to earlier, they are called Punjabi Sikhs. And the Dakhni Sikhs are different from them. <clears throat> and they, they, they go together for the celebration of the Sikh functions, religious functions. But otherwise, in social terms, they have no connection, no um, marriages, no interaction of any kind. The Dakhni Sikhs and the Punjabi Sikhs, they're different, altogether different entities. So Dakhni Sikhs are those people basically who are the residents of the state of Hyderabad, which is now spread over three Indian states of Karnataka, Maharashtra, and now Telangana. Earlier it was Andhra Pradesh. 
So these districts, all these districts had this, which were under the uh, Nizam Hyderabad, they had this Sikh population, which were the part of the irregular army, irregular forces of the Nizam, looking after the defense, looking after uh, the, the security of the treasure, security of the forts and palaces and the people, you know, and, collect- and the collection of the finance. So this was the responsibility which was given to the Sikh forces, which were termed as irregular forces. They were the regular forces in which we have different people. They were the irregular forces. So when I, you know, wanted to look into this problem of Dakhani Sikhs, then I confined my area uh, to only the residents of, the Sikh residents of the, the state of Hyderabad, which is called the Deccan. It is known as Deccan. So I had taken Dakhani Sikhs there in the sample. Then there are Sikh leaders. The Sikh leaders are the tribal people. They are the ones who deal with, the, you know, the making of the swords and the polishing of the swords, you know. And then there are the Banjara Sikhs who are uh, now taken to Gurbani recital and singing of Gurbani and Kirtan in a big way. And in most of the Gurdwaras in the south, you will find the Banjara Sikhs who are the converts, local people who are converts to you know, Sikhism. So I had taken these three, broadly three, three types in the in the south. And in the northeast, we had, uh, you know, the same, like we have a Dakhni Sikhs here in the south. We have the Assamese Sikhs there, Akhomiya Sikhs, as they are called now. They say Akhomiya is the right pronunciation and the right word for, you know, the, these people, for Assam. So uh, Akhomiya Sikhs are the ones which are uh, like Dakhni Sikhs. They are inhabitants of the northeast. Dakhni Sikhs, uh, you know, they, they, and, and, and along with them, we have one Majbi Sikhs, the scheduled caste Dalit Sikhs, who are residents in Shillong and in Guatemala. So I had, I had taken these two categories there, and then uh, three categories here, and they left all other Sikhs of the other types into the business, into profession, or Punjabis, or migrants from Pakistan or elsewhere. I had not touched them, because the idea of the commission was to identify such communities which need government of India's attention, and so that they can be given some welfare measures, so they can be, their status can be raised up and all this. So that was the project which was given to me. Well, it's 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 um it's a fascinating study. It's the first of its kind on on this uh, this group. What does your research show? Maybe you can talk a bit about the structure of the book as well. Uh, the structure of the book is that uh, I have given one chapter to the Dakhni Sikhs, and in the Dakhni Sikhs, which is the largest, which get the largest share of the chapter. Uh, uh, then the Sikhliga Sikhs and the Banjara Sikhs. So I have given one chapter to them. Second chapter deals with, uh, after introduction, I mean, the another chapter would be dealing with the Sami Sikhs. And along with the Sami Sikhs, we have, I'm dealing with the Majbi Sikhs or the Dalit Sikhs of Shillong and Gwati. Then I'm, I'm I, because it was an empirical study, you know, the first time it was done on these people. You know, particularly in the northeast, a second one in the south, but first one in the northeast. So then I'm giving, in another chapter, I'm giving the socioeconomic conditions of the Sikhs. See, uh, I, here I've done one thing, because I was supposed to make a study which was about these communities, about the Sikh minority communities. And then there is a diversity of these people. 
but there's nothing common between Majbi Sikhs and Asami Sikhs. Nothing common between Asami Sikhs and Dakhni Sikhs. And Sikhligar Sikhs and the Banjara Sikhs are the tribal people, tribal Sikhs. You know, so we are, I had a very this hodgepodge kind of a you know, sort of sample, in which in which I was trying to make sense of their those people as you know as as the minority Sikh communities in this region, which are uh, deprived of their um, even minority rights and human rights as well. You see, and they are there for the last from hundred to three hundred years. Some people are there for the last hundred years. Majbi Sikhs, for example, of uh, Shillong and Guwahati, they are there for hundred years, and the Asamiya Sikhs are there for two hundred years. And the Sikhligars believe that when Guru Gobind Singh went to South, who died in 1708, you know, so they they joined his forces and went to South along with him. So they are almost about three hundred years old. So we have this whole, you know. Uh, uh, Sort of you know variety of data. So I was trying to make sense of them, and then I I said how could I do this? So I did one thing that I have taken northeast as one region, and south Deccan as another region, because socio-culturally, geographically, topographically, they are the two different regions. You know, so uh, I have taken them region-wise, and then I have clubbed them into this, and then uh, the data that I have collected on various you know, socio-economic Conditions of these people. Then I have seen them in comparison with their income, the three levels of income: low income, middle income, and high income. So this is how I have broken up the data and made into the tables. There are numerous tables in that. You see, uh, so I'm and discussing all these people together. Now there is, I see no problem. And I'm sociologically speaking, anthropologically speaking, I mean, it, it was a very difficult to combine all these polarities. So, but in terms of the socio-economic conditions. Which was, you know, the you know one one factor which is common to all of them, and uh, something which was unifying all of them. So they are one on this count. And because my objective given to me by the commission was to look into their socio-economic conditions, so this is how I you know, made into this. So then there is another chapter after the socio-economic conditions, which I am dealing with all these economic, social, economic parameters of these communities separately. And then also, I'm making some comparison in between. And then there's another chapter which is called "Local is Authentic." You see, and and that local is authentic. I'm trying to argue that these people, these Sikhs who are there, they are local people into the northeast, into Assam, and as well as in the south. But the Punjabis, Punjabi Sikhs, you know, they don't consider them Sikhs either. They say they are the duplicate Sikhs. They say they are the Nakli Sikhs. You see, they don't. They don't believe them to be Sikhs at all. I say that because they are the people who are the original inhabitants of that area, much earlier than these Punjabi Sikhs and the other migrant Sikhs went over their places. So they, I call them local Sikhs, and I am just trying to find out that what are the local roots of these people in terms of their community affiliation, in terms of their marriages, in terms of their uh, you know wives. You know, and I have taken three generations. Original inhabitants, you know, elderly generation of the grandfather's generation, and then fathers, and then the sons, in the talking roles. And then I'm trying to situate them in the context of the language and culture, that how they are so much engrossed into the language, local language, and local culture, 
that they are they have nothing in common with the Punjabi Sikhs. So local is authentic. Then I am going to another chapter which is called uh, the from the material to the mental. In this chapter, I am dealing with their culture, about their religion, about their religious affiliations, about their religious celebrations, and all these things. And and, and you know and and very interesting things you know which I which, which I would find out in this was uh, that these Sikhs are you know they 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 they, they feel not at all scared of any kind of a thing that we are living in a different area farther from Punjabi Sikhs you know, or from Punjab. So they are much into this, into the thick of the, you know, their uh, situation and into the culture. And in the last chapter, uh, uh, because it was difficult to conclude such a study, so I've called it in lieu of conclusion, you know, in which I have mentioned about some parameters, five parameters I've taken, uh, which are the common things in all of these things. Whether, I mean, despite their cultural, as I earlier mentioned, they, besides their cultural, topographical, historical, regional differences. Now, these are the common factors. One is the oral history of arrival. Oral history of arrival. In, in this, I'm trying to argue out, which of course is, I mean, these are the sort of conclusions of the book. I'm trying to find out that in both the cases, whether the Knesics or Asimisics, they both believe that they are the descendants of the soldiers of Maharaja Ranjit Singh from Punjab, who was sent there in the Deccan and in the Northeast to support the Nizam of Hyderabad and there the Chandrakanta Singha, the king of Assam, who was under attack from the Burmese army. And the Burmese army was extremely strong, very strong army, it was believed to be a very strong army. So Chandrakanta was collecting support. So this is how they believe that they are the descendants of the soldiers. What happens in South, in Northeast was that they, they lost the battle. So one Chaitanya Singh, who was the commander of the Sikh forces, he died. Then his wife took over the command. She also fought. She survived. And finally, with a few people, they just ran out from the battle. They just saved their, you know, saved themselves and went to the forest. And the one area which is where they are inhabited now, they, they are not found all over Assam. They are into into one district only, which is called Naugaon. Naugaon, Naugaon is the one district, Nagaon, in where they you find all of them together. And there are different villages, you know, in where they are settled. Barkola is the largest village. And then we have a Chapamukh where they first went there. So Barkola and Chapamukh are the two large villages where they are settled. And they are all married, you know, their their mothers and their you know, you know, and they're, they're themselves children now. They're all getting married within that 60 kilometers area of that district. That's a very interesting thing about them, you know, that they are still confining themselves to that one district of uh, Assam. On the other hand, when you find in the Dakhani Sikhs, you know, they believe that, again, you know, they were sent there, their father's ancestors came in 1830. In Assam, they went in 1820. Here they came in 1830. And they have the same story, that we, they, our, our ancestors came here to support the Nizam, and there was a lot of chaos, anarchy in the in the state, and the Arabs and Rohila, they were making all you know chaos there. There was loot and plunder, everything was going on. So the Sikh army, Sikh forces came here, they controlled them, and when they controlled them, then they became important, and then they were retained there. 
and then subsequently in just after their arrival in 1830 they went there and in 1839 maharaja ranjit singh died now once you know now there was a confusion as they say the some of our ancestors they went back but then others decided to stay here because ranjit singh is no longer there and they and they and the nizam wants them to be there so they stayed put so they believe that we are living here in hyderabad and other you know had quite district headquarters of the deccan state since 1830 and in assam they are there since 1820 so they have a very similar trajectories of movement as they believe which of course the historians uh, don't like to accept this argument that they can't travel because the whole area around hyderabad and in, in, in northeast was under the british control so the british army you know, they won't allow them to move a contingent of army to move like this in support of another king you know and so therefore they they argue they nothing such such things do, didn't happen but anyway that is that's a different matter altogether but the important thing is sociologically speaking that they are the people who believe themselves to be like this so that's how a very interesting thing is that they came from one they believe to be originating from punjab and then getting into two separate areas and getting adopted adapted to that area and 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 and, and, and totally assimilated themselves into that uh, that 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 culture and that language of the people and this is one of the sole points that our people believe punjabis believe about them they are the duplicate sikhs or they don't know punjabi they can't speak punjabi in as none of a single only there are only two respondents in the in the 540 sample of assam assam sikhs who could speak punjabi at, at home you know they don't speak punjabi at all and then in, in south they also don't speak punjabi at home at all at home only only about 2% people do this and that's because of the fact that in nanded which is a very we have a very prestigious uh, gurudwara there which is one of the uh, you know thrones of the five thrones of the sikh sikhism sikhs you know uh, nanded hazur sahib it is called it is it is a place where the sikhs go in numbers around the year in huge numbers they go there and the sikhs coming all over from all over place they know punjabi they talk punjabi they speak punjabi you know so that is why they some of them have started picking up punjabi and talking about punjabi but the rest of the people all outside they don't know you know so they are they are when i was going with my research fellow for the for the field work because i had to take up the local people who knows telugu so the moment you know they know that he knows telugu so they will switch over to telugu they unmindful of the fact that i don't know telugu anything about telugu i can understand hindi i can understand urdu i can understand english but they will switch on to telugu it was very comfortably in very fluently talk and very comfortable about that so not because of their you know uh, so so the oral history of arrival i'm just saying is that these people believe that this is how they arrived here and they are very proud of this they have no qualms about this and the second thing the second thing is after pluralistic arrivals they i'm talking about the sick form that these people all these people who are there whether tribal or others they are very particular about the sick form they keep the beard they keep the turban and those who have amrit they take amrit you know then they have the kirpan sword on their breast 
they keep their beard loose they don't tie up the beard only those who are into offices and things like that they may tie up the beard but there are other people rest of them they uh, they they keep the beard loose so they are very particular with the form that we have a sikh identity and the sikh form is there and then have there another thing i am talking about is the sikh identity i mean form is one thing which is their appearance and despite 1984 despite when the sikhs were you know there was a sikh genocide as is often mentioned about after the death of indira gandhi the prime minister and then the blue star had happened before that attack on golden temple amritsar now despite the, these things happening these things these people believe that they 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 are very particular about their form and they don't allow their children even to trim their beard they don't allow them and and they are so proud of this that they they tell me you know ki ji punjab mein to sikhism hai hi nahi the sikhism is virtually dead in punjab there are hardly any sikhs in punjab because everybody has stopped off his you know head and beard so there's nobody you hardly find sikhs in punjab so here you find sikhs in punjab and they 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 tell historians are bothering about this why the sikhs went there how the sikhs went there but they are very particular about this they are very clear about this they say the guru sahib had a vision he knew that the sikhi will be saved only there so that is why he came to south guru gobind singh he came to south only for this purpose because he knew that the sikhs will be there and those sikhs will be continuing and running out my religion there and otherwise in punjab it is going to be you know vanished is vanished so they are very particular about the sikh form they they you know those who have taken amrit they may come and come home and take off their sword and put it on the on a on a hook but the moment they want to go out they'll put it on on the on their on the three wheelers that they fly most many of them in hyderabad they have their sikh insignia on their um, on their autos on their vehicles those who are on the cabs on their cabs on their houses on the main gate of the houses on the main front of the houses they have the sikh insignia so they are very proud of their sikh you know heritage and sikh form and then about the sikh identity i'm saying that those who are they believe themselves to be the sikhs it's not only the question of the form they believe that they are the sikhs and they are the true sikhs and they are the guru's sikhs and it is their duty to keep forward keep you know the 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 the, the light of sikhism glowing in 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 the, in the south in these conditions so despite all adversities you know they would like to maintain their sikh identity and then they would say that you know particularly those people in the south they say because we came here that is how the arabs and the rohilas were contained and we had a great prestige and you know whenever we go to any place we were welcome we were saluted and we were you know uh, honored by the local people and this is very interesting uh, raj that uh, you know they, these people small you know money they have they put it on you know they they lend lend it to the small money money small money lend to small vendors and others nobody ever runs four feet their money now because they, because of their and they say because our ancestors were doing like this so we have this image that nobody forfeits our money that we lend to the people here where others it is all happens and you know then then the, the, the people in the south for example or even in the north the south northeast they they the local people 
they feel more comfortable sitting into the cabs and the three wheelers of the seats. For example, you know, there, there are some people telling me that there, that there's a, there's a place near the hub, you know, IT hub of Hyderabad. So they have a area which is called Ramatnagar. And then many of the Dakhani Sikhs, they have their houses there. And they have made their houses in the paying guest accommodation. So the people from outside Hyderabad, they would come there with their daughters. They want their daughters to be staying preferably in their six houses. They feel more secure, more comfortable you know, as a paying guest in their accommodation. So this is how they say that because our ancestors were doing like this, because our, you know, we had the Sikh identity. And that is why you know, we are respected even now. And that is how they are very, they owe it to their ancestors. That because of their uh, grandeur, because of their honor, because of their valor that they showed to, to the local people, you know, to the kings, to the Nizam Hyderabad, that they could have their prestige status there. And, and, and interestingly, there are people from these, you know, Sikhs, you know, who rebelled against the Nizam. And, 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 they, and, and there is a one Gurdwara which is named as the Gurdwara Singh Shahidam. That those Sikhs who had fallen martyr fighting with the forces of Nizam. Why? Because the Nizam was dictating his terms and they were not making the dues, monthly dues to the these forces. And they were saying, if you're not going to give us a monthly due, we're not going to be staying here, we're not going to fight for you. So they, were, they rebelled against the Nizam. And there's one another interesting case, Narayan Singh Murta. It's a very interesting case. He was a person who rebelled against the Nizam. He went into the forest and he started Robin Hooding. He would, you know, he would plunder the big commercial, commercial rich men, feudal lords, rich banyans, merchants, and distribute to the people around. And he was called Narayan Singh Mortar. Mortar is the name of the village, which is about uh, 200 kilometers from Hyderabad. You know? and, and then he was very popular. And then there is a hillock, which is known after his name, Narayan Singh Pahar. It is known as Narayan Singh Pahar Hillock. And the, the, the people believe that the, the tigers were there and he was living with the tigers in one of their dens. And he was such a, such a brave person, you know. And when he was killed, you know, the, the, the Nizam sent his forces. The police would come over. And when finally, then there, was, then there was a lady in the village where he used to come for food and everything like that. So the forces captured that lady. They forced her to poison him. They got him poisoned. And then the story is that when he was poisoned and he died, he knew that he had been poisoned. So he first he shot the lady and then he shot himself. And then he took his, like his own, you know, one of the chadar that is called a long you know, cloth which they wear around the, the waist. So he has taken that chadar on, on him as his coffin. And then the people... You know, talk about like this, you know, the myth about him is that that dead body was there and the police people surrounding him, they kept on firing at him for one hour. <laughs> and whenever there was a fluttering of the wind, the chadar will, you know, the, the bedsheet will move a bit. And then they would run away from there that he has come up, you know. So that was the kind of a terror that he had. So, and this is how the, even Naxalites now, the Naxalites have have him, you know, in their own songs and, you know, talking about Narayan Singh Murtha. So this is the Sikh identity that they are referring to as, as their religious identity. And then another 
issue here, which is common to both the areas, is the problem of Punjabi language. Now, here is it is interesting. Interesting in the sense that these people, Dakhni Sikhs and Assami Sikhs, don't know Punjabi. They don't know Punjabi. But they have to interact with the local Sikhs who are affluent, who are rich, transporters, wine merchants, retailers, cloth and everything. And, and cab owners, bus owners, they have a fleet of buses and trucks. So they have the money. Now they have to interact with these people. And particularly in the Dakhan, we have certain Gurdwaras which are under the control of the Dakhani Sikhs. And there are other Gurdwaras which are under the control of the Punjabi Sikhs. But when it comes to the celebration of the Guru's functions or religious functions, then they join hands. They distribute, you know, that this function you celebrate here, this function we will celebrate there. And then they come together and, you know, because they have the money, so the money comes from them. Now, they do the celebrations, but they don't know Punjabi. So these Punjabi Sikhs, affluent Punjabi Sikhs, they say that they are then, because they are duplicate, because they don't know Punjabi. And a, Punjabi, a Sikh must know Punjabi, you know. No, I am just trying to explain this because, you know, Guru Granth Sahib is written in Gurmukhi. It's in, in you know, Gurmukhi, the, which is a you know, different dialect from Braja and Hindi and you know, Hindustani. So that Gurmukhi, one must know Gurmukhi to be Gurmukh, oriented towards the Guru, the face towards the Guru, Gurmukh, you know, the face towards the Guru. And they say that because these people don't know Punjabi. So how are they can do how they can be six at all? So they consider them duplicate six. Now they say that we are better six than you people. You trim your beard, you drink, you do all kind of things which are forbidden in Sikhism. And still you are calling yourself to be six. You say there's nonsense. So this is the kind of a tussle they're going on. But when it comes to celebrations, they do come together in, in here. Similar thing happens in North uh, Northeast as well. Now, uh, we have two Gurdwaras in the Northeast. One is at uh, Dubri Saab, Dubri, and the another one is at Chapramuk, where the Azami Sikhs landed first. So they say that this Gurdwara is important for us. It's called Gurdwara Mataji, the commander's wife. It is known after her name, Gurdwara Mataji. So we say this is our Gurdwara. We will have one function here, which is particularly the martyrdom day of Guru Tegh Bahadur, the ninth Sikh Guru. And then we will have the Punjabi Sikhs who dominate and control the Dubri Gurdwara. They say we will have the uh, his uh, birthday uh, celebration there in April. You know, one in April, another one in December. They, they decided, they came together that all of us are Sikhs and we should be fighting together for the Sikh rights. We are the minority, so we should be coming together. And we should be celebrating our functions together. But once again, when I was there in 2012, then Shizam started again. They, they say that the, uh, the, the Samya Sikhs started believing that they don't treat us as Sikhs. They don't consider us Sikhs. They, they are controlling and capturing the Gurdwara. And when we had decided that we will have the function separately, they violated that norm. So this time now we are going to celebrate this function here. You know? So again, there is a schism between, between them. Again, the same problem that they are the Nakri six, they are the duplicate six. So now they say that we are duplicate six because we don't know Punjabi. You know, it is the lack of understanding, lack of knowledge of Punjabi that we are, we are called duplicate.
So then the Sikhs at both the places, they are not trying to learn Punjabi. At least their children, they want the they want their children to know Punjabi. And in the Gurdwaras, they have appointed people, Punjabi teachers, who can teach them Punjabi. It is it is true both in Northeast and in South India. So this is the this is the complex, you know, that they, 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 they the Punjabi Sikhs have given them. And they are probably, you know, got you know got bitten by this you know, you know bug of lack of knowledge of Punjabi. I argue with them. I say, okay, you are not supposed to know Punjabi. You are not in Punjab. If you know Punjabi, who will you talk to? You see, who will you talk to in Punjabi? Because everybody around you will be talking either Assamese or Telugu or Hindi or, or English. You know, who will talk to you in Punjabi? But then, you know, the, they say, yes, you are right. Aap hai. Lekin, you know, once again, then they start believing. There's nobody looking after them. And they, and, and they have requested the Shiromni Gurdwara Prabhupada Committee at Amritsar to appoint Punjabi teacher there. And they have requested some uh, rich people, the local Punjabi rich people, to support such people. And they have they have supported some such people who are doing both the function of the religion, religious function, they are also performing in the Gurdwara. And Punjabi teaching is also done in the Gurdwara. So they are trying to, you know, pick up this, you know, fight out with the stigma that we want to know Punjabi. And we are uh, not real Sikhs because we don't know Punjabi. So this is the dilemma that they have, and I've done a paper on this separately, which has been published in Sikh Formations. You know, there's a journal from, which comes from Michigan. You know, it's called Sikh Formations, it's, a, it's quite an important journey. <clears throat> so, and the last one I'm saying is because as Sikhs, you see, whenever you talk to these people, they refer to Punjab. Now, we sometimes, for example, I was also taken by the fact that probably as the land of their ancestors, they have the love for the land. They have the, they're looking forward towards Punjab. You see, their orientation towards Punjab. But when I gradually found out that by Punjab, and they refer to Punjab, that they miss Punjab, they love Punjab, they want to go to Punjab. But then I discovered that they are interested basically in going to Soran Mandar, Golden Temple at Amritsar. That is the place where they want to go. Now, in the in the south, for example, uh, because the, you know people from North India keep going there in big numbers. The Gurdwara Nandev, Hazur Sahib. So they they these locals, they, they, then uh, some Dakhni Sikhs also, you know, they were sponsored by these uh, Punjabi Sikhs. The train was sponsored, a full train, you know, was sponsored for them to be carried to to, to Amritsar and other. Gurdwaras in the north, you know, and then they, they uh, on this was once again on the occasion of the you know, 300, you know, birth anniversary of the Khalsa, and then another one on the occasion of the uh, throning of Guru Granth Sahib as the Guru. So twice they sent train from northeast. There was only one train, not not one train rather. It was 187 people, 87 or 90 people were odd people were. Picked up from there, and they were sponsored by the Shromni Gurdwara Prabhupada Committee at Amritsar. They were brought to Amritsar, and then they returned. You know, uh, so that is how they have only once they came out from Assamia Six, came to Punjab only once. Dakhni Six are more in touch with Punjab because they are affluent also some of them, and they have been also sponsored trains to the Golden Temple. So this is how you know I have structured uh, my book about uh, 
uh, you know, these different communities, six in common, but in different regions, in different locales, different setup, different culture, different language, everything different in many ways. There, your your specific case study raises really fascinating questions about regionality and religious identity, and you know, there's there's lots of um, there are tons of parallels we can make with various other movements and and religious traditions. What um, um, we're near time for today, but let me ask you before we close: What surprised you most about this research? What sort of struck you most about it? What surprised you most, or what struck you most? Yeah, you know, what, yeah, that, what that, stood out to you most? What struck me most was, you know, I, you know, I, I, I went from here. I also had the belief that the Punjabi, the Sikh must know Punjabi, because the Sikhs are believed to be Punjabi is supposed to be the homeland of the Sikhs, wherever the Sikhs may be. Now they are, they, they make a big diaspora, the world over. They are there, you know, in huge numbers in. In Canada and Europe and America, but they they believe that their home is Punjab, you know. So when I also went there, I also believed you know that they should be knowing six uh, Punjabi, but they didn't know Punjabi. What struck me most was that Punjabi people in Punjab, six in Punjab, and particularly Jat six in Punjab, they would not believe that the six can be living in poor conditions, in unlivable conditions. The Sikhs in Punjab or other Punjabis in Punjab would not like to believe this, that Sikh can ever be living in such inhospitable, poor conditions. When I went there, I found the Sikhs living in slums. Tribals, Sikhs Sikhs living in, in, in slums. You'll be surprised to know, I mentioned, that there's one family in Nizamabad, 160 kilometers from Hyderabad. One family, 33 members are there and they are living in a single room. Now, 33 people living in a single room. Now, we keep on talking of social distancing now with the corona effect <laughs> of masking and social distance. How could these 33 people to a room can do all this? So that is the condition they are living in. You know, and, and the same is true in, in, in Sami Six. Sami Six, of course, because they are the rural areas, so a peasant is not in that bad shape as you find in the six and as you find people in the urban areas. But the Majbi Sikhs of Shillong, of Guwahati, they are living in as bad slums as Darvi is, for example. Their conditions are horrible. They do, you know, 13% people do not have the toilets. 20% households didn't have the kitchen. I'm, I'm talking the total sample. 31% people are living just 5,000 rupees per month income, whole household. And the average household is, you know, of the 85% people, the average household is three to six members in the family. And if you, if you come to the literacy, that is only 20%. There is only one, uh, the, the, the total sample was 1,011. In the 1,011 sample, 540 in the northeast and 471 in the south. There was only one postgraduate, one percent. One percent people who have done their postgraduation, that's called MA, masters. And those who have done their BA, undergraduate course, they are only 6.5 percent. 
So that is the state of affairs of these people, living in deprived conditions, slums, socioeconomically in poor conditions, and they are they are they, they have they don't have you know they don't have their even minority rights are not given to these people. They do not have their own minority you know associations. They do have their association of the Assamese Sikhs or Dakhmi Sikhs association, which keep on fighting for this. You know, but they are, for example, when I was there, there was a ceremony of collective marriage in South. You know, there's group marriages they have. They're a very simple form of marriage they do. So they, about 20, more than 20 odd couples were there. They were married at the same time in the Gurudwara. Now, that celebration was organized by the Dakhni Sikhs Association, not under their own name, but under the Christian Welfare Association. Because the Telangana, then uh, Andhra government will not give them the money, but they will give the money only to the Christian Welfare Association. So then association with the Christian Welfare Association, they are going to celebrate their functions and get the funds from the government, not their own funds. So these people, this is what, you know, is, is most important thing to me, Scott. And of course, second thing which I have highlighted much is that the Sikhs in Punjab, politicians in particular, they would believe the Sikhs to be a very homogeneous people. They are all the Sikhs are there and every Sikh is just like, you know, they, they are the same. So they are the one group. They are not at all homogeneous. There is a whole variety of, you know, communities in the Sikhs. There is a huge variety. The tribal Sikhs are there. The OBC Sikhs are there. The caste Sikhs are there. The affluent Sikhs are there. The poor Sikhs are there. The poorest of the poor Sikhs are there. You know, and you know, the, uh, so they are living in these areas. All over the country they are spread out. In all the metropolises they have. You know, but they are living in those poor conditions. Of course, the Punjabi Sikhs who are there, they are affluent. But the local Sikhs who are there, who I'm saying, the local Sikhs would be there for 200 to 300 years or 100 years. But they, they are in the most poor condition. That's one thing which I found, which, 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 which before I had taken the study, I didn't know that this is the fate of the Sikhs there in the other parts of the country like this. That that's that is the most striking thing about this project is. Well, there's certainly a great deal about this project that's illumining about socioeconomic conditions and religious identity, and I think a variety of of, of learners and, and and colleagues and um, students of religion and Indian religions in particular would be fascinated by this book. So, thank you very much for speaking with us about it today. Thank you. Thank you. So for those of you listening, we've been speaking with Professor Burinder Paul Singh um, of the Department of Sociology and Social Anthropology at Punjabi University. We've been speaking about his recent Rutledge book, Sikhs in the Deccan and Northeast India. Until next time, stay safe, stay staying, keep listening, keep reading, and keep contemplating the diversity of uh, the Sikh religious tradition. Take care. Thank you.